I know we, we ran out of coffee in the back. It's a cardinal sin. Um, I don't know who to fire anymore. Just don't. Okay. <laughs> the person who laughed the hardest was the staff member, which I thought was very funny. Thanks, Spencer. Okay. Because he knows who to fire. <laughs> he knows who's responsible. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, by the waters of baptism, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, for drawing us to faith in you, we pray that you would enkindle in us uh, a fire uh, for you, for the spreading of your gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, for Bishop Mbanda and Chantal and for Shira Diocese, we give you thanks. We pray that you would bless them, that you would continue to give them a boldness, uh, not uh, in their own strength, uh, but in he who has conquered death and sin on our behalf, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Bishop, tell us uh, initially just a little, it's on, uh, a little bit about yourself. Well, a little bit about ourselves. Um, like you have heard, um, people call me Laurent Banda, there's the French, uh, and uh, others try to call me Laurent, and Banda is uh, MBA, so you don't need to say the M or buy a vow. You can just say, mm, banda. And, uh, and uh, I'm married to Chantal. We have three children who were born here in the States. And they, um, one is in LA trying to get into acting. The other is in uh, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, working for uh, Vanguard. And uh, the oldest is a girl. She's in Rwanda with us. Um, grew up in a refugee camp in Burundi, moved a lot as a kid, and my parents had left Rwanda when I was about five years. And I lived in about 18 African countries before I came to the States in 1994 with my wife Chantal and went to seminary here. Then later on we decided to go back. I've worked largely for uh, Christian organizations. I started my ministry with Campus Crusade and served in three different countries in Africa. Then later on became the country director for Burundi, and where I met my wife, Chantal, uh, who comes from a Rwandan family. It's a long story how I met her, but uh, I went to see the motorcycle museum. It reminded me something because I was trying to impress her by riding a motorcycle. <laughs> with an open shirt and the air bubbling behind my back. Uh, but I almost got killed. <laughs> and since I have not been able to uh, be allowed to ride a motorcycle. Um, so I came to the States and uh, after Campus Crusade, went to seminary, um, did my PhD at uh, Trinity Divinity School International University now in Chicago. And then uh, went to, we went into a ministry of Christian Aid in Charlottesville, Virginia, left to do business on our own for about two years. And then in that business is where Compassion International got me. Uh, went to work for Compassion as Africa director. It so coincided with the genocide in Rwanda. And uh, there went into Rwanda as one who could uh, uh, manage the reef behind the fighting lines, knowing that I could be killed any time. And it was a very dangerous time. But in Rwanda in May of 95, it was dangerous until the genocide was stopped. Came back to the States and I was promoted to a vice president position where I was managing work in about 23 countries. Um, 2003, took my family for the first time in Rwanda, children and wife, five of us. 
Our daughter was about to go to college and we wanted her to know her roots. And I went to Rwanda and we fell in love with the country. Actually, on that trip, I resigned my job with compassion and decided to go to Rwanda and to be part of what was happening. By God's grace, um, three months later, Compassion said, we won't let you go anywhere. So they allowed me to move to Rwanda and still work with the organization, manage the Africa work as vice president, 450 staff members, a budget of 70 million. And um, until 2010, 2010, the church called me up and said, uh, can we put your name up for uh, a possible candidate as bishop? And we said, no one knows us, and uh, if God can cross the door, he will still have room to cross the door. So we let them take the name after a prayer and getting God's peace. And I was traveling in the country of Ghana, and while there I got a call to say that, yes, you have been elected <laughs> Bishop of Shira. And, um, and we, we, we were actually consecrated in 2010 March. I've been in the diocese five years. It has been a little roller coaster, but we have seen God's hand and, uh, and, and his blessing. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the day-to-day -day, uh, in your own life. So you and Chantal have three children, uh, but you've also adopted 28 children. Tell us about them. Well, um, first of all, let me say that Chantal is a wife of a bishop. She is what we call the president of Mother's Union, uh, which is a movement in the Anglican Church, as you know. So she's very much involved in that. Chantal is also a social entrepreneur. Uh, talk about any kind of business that can advance or help the Ministry of Mother's Union, she will get into it. Right now, I think she's raising over 100 pigs. Um, so she's involved in the women's ministry. She's also involved in the lives of the 28 children that, that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. She's involved in a lot more. I can't describe it, the whole thing. We have a CBSI, Community Bible Study Group, where we have 4,000 people attending every week. She's not a part of all those going on, but she's a part of some. She's, she's highly involved. As far as my work is concerned, uh, we have 328 congregations that are under uh, 53, uh, 53 parishes. And so I do visit um, parishes once in a while. I do, uh, we also have 53 schools. And the 53 schools are uh, kind of somehow subsidized by the government, but we have two that are fully private. Sunrise School, which is a school of orphans that was started right after the genocide. We have over 700 students, half of them are orphans. We also try to try to raise support for them, for the orphans, so that they can be there. The other half pays for their own uh, fees. We also have just started the community college, university, last year, that has grown to 700 students in less than two years. So I'm a part of that too. And uh, I'm also, um, besides managing the the diocese and what is going on, something that they didn't teach me in the seminary. No one told me that you become a manager, you become a reader, you become a preacher, you become a, um, an orphanage manager, you become everything. And uh, I don't know how you prepare for that. But that's, that's, our, that's our life. Um, we, we um, maybe uh, the month of May, June, July, and August, we try to schedule some confirmations 
this year I've confirmed over 1,100 uh, members uh, in four different sessions, I believe. And we also are very much involved in what we call social um, activity designed to uplift the living of the people in the villages because we have been taught largely um, missions came and they were uh, teaching and health and all those, but we are also involved in trying to train our pastors. When I joined the diocese, we had our pastors ranged from grade three of education, formal education, to grade nine. Is that, is that about right, the same? And I had only one who had finished college when I joined the diocese. We thank God that by God's uh, grace, people have come alongside us. We have about 11 who have finished the uh, university and their bachelor degrees. We have 87 that are involved in uh, different pastoral training. So we have really moved into the preaching, teaching, evangelism. We hold the evangelistic uh, meetings uh, regularly in the diocese. In the, last, uh, in, in the last five years, we have seen us grow to about 25 new uh, churches and about 20,000 members. That's, um, that's astounding. Uh, so you, uh, what is the average number of churches that a pastor has in your diocese? Um, when, we say, when we say a pastor, for us, we have many lay leaders, catechists, who are, lay, who are leading, uh, who are leading uh, local congregations. So a pastor who is uh, pastoring a parish may have five to eight uh, local congregations below him that he's overseeing, which means that they go around and rotate around. Some of them are going on foot, others are going on a bicycle, others are hiring motorcycles. Uh, but it is not unusual for a pastor to have two, three congregations that he's looking mm -hmm. after if he's an ordained and priesthood pastor. And so you try to do uh, confirmations uh, as much as you can. It's hard to get out there. But tell, tell everybody about the confirmation you were told, telling me about where you had to take a break. <laughs> I had a confirmation about, uh, um, I think it was um, uh, the second week, two weeks ago. And um, I had the 575 people to be confirmed. We also had 187 Catholic church members that were being received. And um, a, we thought we were going to do it inside, but it so happened that there were so many people. Now, when we do confirmation, there's a number of parishes and local congregations that come together. It's not just in one parish. So we couldn't fit, so we end up going outside and... Um, we also gave a sermon and felt led by the Spirit to give an invitation and 600 people came forward. And we don't know if the 600... Do you get paid by the person, by the head? I should. Yes. I should. Maybe... We couldn't afford you. Maybe. Uh. <laughs> um, so, um, so many uh, receiving Christ, others for different needs. We didn't get around to asking everybody what their issues, but sometime in Africa, people volunteer, raise their hands and say, I want to tell you what Christ has released me from. And uh, so we get those. But through the confirmation, because of the great number and uh, because of where I was seated very high and the people kneeling down below, and uh, uh, it's hard on your back. <laughs> um, so I had to take uh, little breaks, and when you take breaks in the African tradition, the choirs come on. 
and we have an army of choirs and they can sing and they can dance and the man to prove it is Drayton because I have a video of him dancing with some of the churches. If anyone <laughs> would like to see a, a copy of the former Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court dancing in Africa, we, we can make that. Maybe, maybe we'll send it so that you can show it on the screen somewhere. I guess maybe I should say uh, by, by way of introduction, um, uh, so glad to have Drayton Neighbors here with us. Uh, I was in a meeting, and uh, Drayton Neighbors said, uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life, Andrew, and so do I. And, uh, and so what happened at the end of that meeting, he said, what would you think about uh, supporting uh, a Rwandan priest coming over to study at Beeson? And I said, well, that sounds like a lovely idea. Let's talk details. And within days, uh, Bishop and Chantal came, and we had dinner, and the bishop was kind of giving me the hard sell, and I just within the first 10 minutes said, look, it's done. We're going to do it. And so we had a great meal after that. There was no need to... Uh, I think he was tired of hearing me trying to push, <laughs> so he said, okay, done. <laughs> no, uh, and so no, it was a and gracious that's how heart. Sam and Jackie and the girls uh, came to us and, uh, and delighted, uh, delighted to have, uh, have them with us. They're a blessing to us, and uh, I know a blessing in the church. But, you, you know, you were talking about all these things that you're responsible for in your diocese that, you know, you think, did I really get ordained to do this? What, what are the biggest needs in the church in Rwanda right now? First of all, before I get to the biggest need in the church in Rwanda right now, uh, let, me, let, me, let me pause a little bit to thank each one of you and to thank uh, Dean, for, uh, Dean Andrew for uh, the heart, the love, and uh, the willingness to take Sam and uh, his wife and children and to love them and to bless them and to be a blessing to them. It is not only these people that you have loved and blessed, it is the church in Rwanda because I believe that God has a wonderful ministry for these people. And I know when Chantal and I came to the States in 1984, uh, we were not totally embraced and uh, it, was, it was a hardship for us, and sometimes even missing them. So I want to thank you for your love, thank you for your kindness, thank you for loving them. Uh, God has a plan for them, and, uh, and, and we want also to be... Uh, yeah, go ahead and give them a praise. Um, greatest, need, uh, greatest need in the church in Rwanda... If you were to look in Rwanda as a whole, I believe, but more specifically in Shira Diocese, which we share with others, is training of pastors. Trained clergy is an issue. People are coming to Christ in thousands, but I'm afraid that they are not being discipled and taught. And part of it, we have people who can preach and who can dance, but really, really with little um, uh, biblical training. Whatsoever. That's why God led us to start what we call Muhabura Biblical Study Center that we've been doing for the last four years. And we have seen uh, some people uh, being trained. So we introduced the training for all the pastors. Some of them we had to send them back to elementary school and others to send them to secondary school. And we have some, know, we have some that are finishing high school and elementary school. And these are pastors. And um, and so we have embarked on the training of pastors, and that's an area of a serious need in our little meager means. And it's challenging because we are off and on, but we would like to stabilize that and teach. So, so that's number one. And number two is, uh, is, uh, is, is really people in, in the villages where we are are poor. 
But even though they are poor, they are, they are rich, they are generous people. When I go to confirm people, oh, I go home with a cow or a goat or a chicken or a, <laughs> and, and as a way of thanking me. So a generous heart they have. And we are trying to teach them how to give and how to support their church. Because missionaries, in a way, I'm not blaming them, but they, they brought the gospel, but they also brought the resources and funds from home. And when they went home, the programs went home. And when they came back, the programs restarted. And so generally, when people see you, they say, Bishop, we need help. It is not the congregations that think, let us support the diocese, let us support the parish. And we are very much involved in trying to teach our people to give. But in the meanwhile, we have to, we have to survive and we have to support the ministry that we have. And so that's the challenge that we are running all these programs and almost on a shoestring. Mm-hmm. Almost on a shoestring. And therefore, the, the other role that uh, I didn't have to share that <laughs> maybe I should say is that I also become a fundraiser. Right. And uh, that's not what I'm doing here, but if God leads you to support, <laughs> that's fine. Um, um, no, but that's, that's a very good point. Is the impediment to getting the clergy trained, uh, whether that's your local theological college or Uganda Christian, um, is it just a matter of, of money? If we had more money, we'd be able to do more training? Or is, is it really a matter of resources, of money? If we had money, we would be able to do more. And uh, um, you are challenging me here now. Now I have to lay. Um, um, <laughs> I have to embarrass him now. <laughs> Let me embarrass Drayton. For the last five years, Drayton has supported our pastoral training. And he himself have seen and have been there, I don't know how many times I've been in Rwanda, I think it's more than 10 times, 11 times, and he knew, and he has been behind that. Um, um, the other day, I was coming to, actually flying to Alabama, I got in um, Atlanta, and I got a call that a, f- a lawsuit that we have had for the last five years, that there was a judgment that we have to pay 80000 to get out of this issue. And uh, I learned the new term. Is, that, is it a shy? St- it. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's one of those I people. I think a swindler. Swindler probably. <laughs> one of those people. I have to be careful now. That Other I'm things that Drake Neighbors has contributed to the yeah. Rwandan culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is those terms that you cannot say as a bishop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but uh, <laughs> that that meant that if we are going to pay, we have to put our programs on hold. And uh, thank God that uh, God led so that uh, we can uh, have the money that was designed for those programs next year, that we can have it now to pay that. But that means that some of our programs are put on hold. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a special training of pastors and things like that. So that's, those are the kind of things that you juggle uh, from. I will tell you, and uh, this is not, please take it right. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, to brag here. But uh, when I left Compassion, both my wife and I were very well taken care of. I was serving an international organization based in Africa, driving an Iceland cruiser that is provided by the organization. Really good salary in the six digits, low, but there. And I would say, and I go to church, my first salary was $700. And um, 
Actually, if I remember correctly, the first three months we didn't take it because our staff had not been paid for nine months. Mm. And uh, so it, it is those kind of challenges that you face and they deal with. So maybe I should tell them to pay me by the person I confirm. Yes, they do. <laughs> I'll see if they do. Uh, so tell me, one of the, I mean, the amazing things that's happened, and, and you were on the front lines of this. Uh, tell us a little about what the Lord did in bringing Rwanda out of the genocide and into the place that it is today. It's such remarkable transformation. Uh, tell us about that. Um, and uh, before that, let me tell you some, something else that I almost forgot. Another thing that the Lord led to our hearts, really, in the villages, children start school when they are six or seven. And uh, we started uh, to address the needs of children who are abused in the villages and the rural areas. And we started a program for children, what we call an early childhood program. We started with four centers. And, um, and today we have 218 child development care centers with over 22,000 uh, children meeting on a daily basis. We also have identified children who are malnourished and we try to provide them a one, a, a, an egg a day, which is five eggs a week and throughout the year. And we, out of those 218, we have 25 that are actually given an egg, which means we do 2,500 eggs a day. <laughs> That's a lot of chickens. But, uh, but uh, the country of Rwanda, the country of Rwanda was reduced to ashes. In 1994, I was there. I saw it because I was behind the fighting lines. And no one gave it a chance that this country will recover. But I believe because of uh, good leadership, I believe because of a president who was then a major in the army. Actually, he was the, the head of the army who stopped the genocide. I think he made two choices that were crucial. One, he made a choice to not revenge. He could have led his army to revenge for the number of people who had been killed, over a million people. But he said, we want revenge, we instead forgive. Number two, he, he was willing to be inclusive in bringing people who were actually fighting him into his government. And so a government of unity. And then number three, the churches in Rwanda started talking about uh, evangelism, started talking about going into the prisons and preaching to people. Thousands of prisoners who had killed and started uh, confessing. And actually the government forgave quite a number of them and they came out. I think it was close to 30,000 that came out at that time. Thousand, thousand who came out at that time. And I think those initial decisions then started bringing people together. The reconciliation has taken place. The president, I believe, and the leadership that he has are people who are trying to fight corruption. And um, there are people also who have the country and the people at the heart. They're not people who are selfish. There are people who have given up. Rwanda today, people talk about brain drain. It is a term that they use for in Africa, most people want to get out of Africa and, and they go to Europe or come to America. It is amazing that in Rwanda, everybody wants to go back to Rwanda. And we, highest, we have the highest returning of what we call the diaspora, including my own daughter who was born here. She just two years ago, she said, I'm going to Rwanda. And she's there now. 
So I think we have those talents of the Rwanda and diaspora. We have people who are coming. We have a government that is willing. We have a good leader in place. And, 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 and the, it is amazing. Rwanda today is the cleanest country in Africa. Rwanda today is the third best country to do business in. Kigali is ranking, um, is our capital city is ranking among the top clean cities of the world. And it is the least corrupt country of Africa. After the genocide of 19, it's unbelievable. And Rwanda today says we want it to be the Singapore, the Korea of, of Africa. Those are mother countries, actually, and many of our leaders go to those countries for orientation. So I think there is a leadership with a heart for the people. And, and a country that is also going back into the Rwandan traditional values and say, we need to stand on our own. We cannot be beggars. And so everybody needs to do something. That's the same thing we are teaching in the church, actually. That's the same thing we are doing in the church. Mm -hmm. And so what, um, where, where's the church been in, in all of this? When you were first ordained, were you serving in the parish or a parachurch? And, and had, what has been the role of the church in, in bringing Rwanda back? The role of the church in bringing Rwanda back, I think there, was, there has been a three-legged stool. I think you have the private sector, you have the civil society, and you have the government. And the church tends to fit into the civil society. And the church has been on the forefront of what actually has been happening in Rwanda. In terms of uh, reconciliation, the church has led. In terms of even introducing the gospel in different parts of the government, the church has led. We have a parliament that has a prayer meeting regularly. We have... Uh, uh, once a month, uh, um, uh, uh, prayer breakfast for the leaders of the country, including the president, comes. And now we are starting to start those branches in the rural area, even where we are. We have uh, once a month uh, a gathering of leaders where we preach the gospel, where we share with them, where we challenge them to serve their people. I think the church has been on the forefront in many different ways. Um, some of you have heard of Rick Warren. Rick Warren came to Rwanda and befriended the president. It was the president himself who wrote him and said, I'm a man of a purpose. Why don't you come and we talk? And I think since that time, there have been retreats for cabinet, for the cabinet, and those retreats are read by godly people. We have quite a number of people in the government who are Christians. So the church has played a, a, a significant role in the development of the country, and largely, largely, I would say, in the reconciliation and in attending to the needs of the widows, in attending to the needs of the orphans, and in trying to uplift the living conditions of the people in the rural area. Because the church is everywhere. I mean, when you look at the... Uh, People, people pride ourselves of the structure of the Anglican Church because it is the most structured church that you go and you find in every village. And you find a little church and a little cottage. Then above you find a parish and above you find a diocese. And in our country, I don't know here, bishops, um, first of all, during the colonial days, bishops had the rank of a minister, of a cabinet minister. That has not continued the same, but it is per still perceived almost that way. So a bishop uh, and even a priesthood, um, uh, a priest, they are very highly visible in the community and highly respected. And therefore, what they say is very, very important. They are strong opinion leaders.
And so for a lot of the, you know, educational institutions as well as some of the social services, uh, you're getting even a positive response from people who would self-identify as pagan or Muslim or just non-Christian. Yes, uh, our schools, our health centers uh, are doors to evangelism. So when we have a school as an opportunity, our desire would be, and most churches want, want that to happen. We don't have the manpower, we don't have the trend, but every chair a kid sits on is an opportunity for the gospel. And so that's how it is perceived. So those schools, those uh, health centers, those programs in the villages, they're really a door to the community or a door to the home. Our 218 centers have been the most, uh, they opened the door for us to start the church. Um, Drayton will tell you we, we built about six churches that he has been involved in. He loves building churches. And, um, and one of the church had about, um, if I remember correctly, around 50 to 75 people. And today is over, is over 300. And the church is overrun. So we have seen some of our churches double or triple because of ministry to children. So if you want your church, this, I, that was a blessing this morning. When you see that many children, you know, if you love those kids, their parents will come. Mm -hmm. They have no option because they say, the church loves my children, mm -hmm. and they will follow. And those who have children who see what is happening there, they will want to bring their children to this church. That's, that's, that's what I've seen. That's, it, it works. So I tend to, in our saying, we have, if you wanted to eat the food of the king, you know, take the mucus, clean the, clean the king's chair of the mucus. In other words, if you take the mucus of the little kid and the king sees you, he will say, that man loves children, so it's taking care of my children. So bring him and he will bless you. That's what happens. So if well, you clean the mucus, the parents uh, will come. <laughs> uh, well, good. Uh, any any questions? We've got a, some time for some questions for Bishop Mbanda, whether it's about uh, ministry in Rwanda or Rwanda itself, or um, questions about uh, the communion, uh, the Anglican communion. That'd be all right, too. Andrew, I wonder if the... Oh, oh, sorry. Me, Go ahead, Pratt. I wonder if you could uh, say a comment on the radical Islamic movement on the African continent, what he thinks about it. Yeah, thank you very much. Rwanda is probably 56% uh, Catholic and 26% uh, uh, Protestant and 4.7 uh, or 8 Muslim. But I will tell you, the Muslims will make you feel like they are, the, they are the majority in the country. Because when you go to any main road or any community, you will find a little mosque built somewhere. And they will try to do things that will attract the people, such as putting away on that little mosque and and uh, schools and uh, providing free education and things like that. So there is a strong movement of Islam from the north to the southern, to the sub-Sahara African countries, and also from the Middle, e the Middle East. In fact, we have seen now Muslims almost doing public, public evangelism, where they stand with uh, microphones and invite the people to come to listen to them. So it's a movement that's moving, the difference is that Probably in Rwanda is not an, an antagonistic movement, but around us, it's terrible when you think about Kenya or other places. So Islam, Islam is definitely growing. 
and uh, we need to we need to preach the gospel, and we need to ground people in the gospel to know what they believe and what they stand for. Right. Yes. Okay. Bishop, my still your microphone. Right. This is dangerous. Thank you very much. All right. Hand, all right. Chantal, tell us about uh, the, the ministry that you have in the orphanage and also your prayer life in the diocese. Wait, thank you so much. <laughs> Bishop said it's to keep them in line. Yeah, that, that's, uh, the, that's the main one. Um, but the ministry for children, we both love children. And when we moved to Rwanda, there were so many kids who were uh, left and loved and no one to care for them. And so um, we started a home. Actually, we don't call it an orphanage. We call it a home because those kids are our children. Sorry, <laughs> I will try not to cry. Um, they're not orphans. They have fun parents. Mm. Uh, we are parents for these kids. So we started, we had three homes, 10 kids in our home, and we had mamas, aunties and uncles to take care of these kids. And we love them as our own. Um, now we have 28. Uh, five of them actually are adopted here in the state somewhere uh, and being loved by uh, families here. But Rwanda has closed the adoption is five years ago. So no kids can leave Rwanda to be adopted internationally. So we have these kids and we try to take care of them uh, they go to the best school. That's the only inheritance that we can give them, education. So they're attending the best schools and being loved. We teach them the gospel. We want them to grow to be men and women that God created them to be. So in doing that, we try to do um, things that will support the ministry. Um, that's where Bishop said, uh, I do everything. I, I'm a farmer. I <laughs> raise animals. We have cows. We have rabbits. We have pigs. Uh, we have chicken. We grow beans. We grow corn. Just to try to get enough that we sustain the children. So that's what we do. Whereas uh, the prayer meeting, um, prayer is necessary. Uh, I'm sure all of you know. Um, but as a bishop's wife, whatever I say goes, you know, is taken <laughs> seriously. Uh, so I didn't want to be, you know, I'm involved in prayer groups where you go and you pray, you listen, you, you watch what you say. But I needed somewhere where I can let my heart be vulnerable um, because if you are a bishop's wife, you are put on the parasol and you know, nobody touches you, so it's a lonely place. So I have uh, four women that we meet every Tuesday. From nine o'clock, we go up to six or seven, mm. praying, just letting everything to God. So we pray for our home, we pray for our children, we pray for the church, we pray for the country, so if you remember, Tuesday, pray for us mm. that the Holy Spirit 
will be able to minister to us. Thank you so much. Another thing she didn't say is Wednesdays she cooks all day from morning, from five in the morning, and uh, then around one, she then puts everything in the car that she had cooked and goes down to the hospital to feed people mm. who do not have people that uh, bring food to them. Does that every Wednesday with a group of two other women that are involved. Mm. Thank you. Yes, I, I do have contact with those children. Uh, they were adopted by friends of ours, and we have regular contact, and I'm very, very pleased, mm. very happy. Mm. Well, y'all, let's have a word of prayer uh, for the bishop and Chantal. You stay up here, and, uh, and then the bishop has to preach. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us in bringing Bishop and Chantal to us. Lord, we pray for the church in Rwanda, especially Shira Diocese, Lord, that uh, you would meet them at their point of need, uh, that you would move our hearts to join uh, hands with our brothers and sisters, uh, Lord, that we might see the gospel go to the ends of the earth for the fertile soil uh, that is the church of Rwanda, Lord, for your uh, Holy Spirit breaking into hearts and for the many that are coming to know you, to love you, and to serve you. And so we pray that you would give uh, Bishop and Chantal uh, strength, uh, courage, uh, patience, but above all that peace which surpasses all understanding that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are all invited to visit Rwanda and to come to Shira Diocese. It's a place where people come to see the mountain gorillas. The mountain gorillas are very expensive. You can see me free of charge.